0: Imagine concealing a part of your life from the world, a part of your life that has shaped the way that you think and that you behave, a part of your life that's so important that you might even consider it foundational to your existence. It sounds pretty ridiculous and nearly impossible, right? But growing up in Alabama as a first-generation Hindu American, this is how I felt. It was taboo to discuss religion at home with my immigrant parents, since it was something that was seemingly unquestionable. Meanwhile, living in the Deep South, I experienced Christian beliefs on a daily basis, whether I wanted to or not. From chanting Christian hymns before my soccer games, to attending church with my friends. On the inside, I knew that I wanted to be Hindu. I wanted to practice my parents' faith. Yet, although I never identified as Christian, in some ways, I felt it. i felt this religious confusion for too long, so I decided to put an end to it. For the first time, I had a conversation with my father about his religion, the religion of this country, and where I belong in all of this.
1: Yeah, I distinctly remember the first time I went to a temple, this big temple, uh, it's called Tirupati. It was actually pretty impressive in the sense there is a, an idol which is about five feet tall um, and four feet out of that five feet is completely covered with diamonds. The interesting thing was that the priests were chanting in Sanskrit, and you know, it's not a language I know, it's not a language most people know, and it was in some ways a shock to find out that I had no idea what the priest was even saying.
0: Yeah, I think I can actually kind of relate to that because my first experience of the temple um, was obviously in the United States with smells and sights and sounds that I just had never experienced before. And I think, you know, if you don't know Sanskrit, I certainly don't know Sanskrit, um, let alone a lot of the Indian languages. Um, Maybe that was a little less shocking for you, but it was certainly very shocking for me coming from maybe that American culture. In some ways, I feel that I devalue Hinduism because I don't understand it, literally. The religion is based on scriptures in Sanskrit, a language that's completely foreign to me. As a result, I never derived any meaning out of listening to and chanting Hindu prayers. I always thought that this was because the scriptures, when translated, just didn't resonate with me. But maybe that's not the case. Maybe something was lost in translation. So to me, Sanskrit, or at least learning Sanskrit, is not that important. Um, And at least from my perspective, the English translation of the hymns are enough. Um, So do you think there's value in the Sanskrit uh, translation? You know, it's important to know what
1: the, the prayer is saying. So at least you know what you're praying. But then actually, if you look at the way it is said, I just like to hear it in Sanskrit. When I remember, there was a there was an occasion. You again, this was you know when my kids were small, and you know we used to take them to this sort of Sunday school. But I remember there was a time when one of the people who was teaching these uh, hymns said, "You know what? Let's sing the same thing in English." And. I don't know how the kids felt about it, but I personally sort of cringed at it. And it just didn't sound the same. Maybe because, and maybe it's me, you know, maybe because I've been hearing it for so long in Sanskrit. It just didn't have the same punch.
0: I think part of my father's reluctance to use English translations of Hindu prayers is due to his upbringing in India, a country that's overwhelmingly Hindu. During our conversation, he described field trips to temples during school and large-scale religious festivals near his home. Essentially, my father's upbringing with Hinduism in India is exactly what I experienced with Christianity in America. Now, when he decided to move to the United States in the late 1980s, he was prepared to be challenged for his faith, and he was. Here, he tells me a story of eating at a restaurant in Ann Arbor, Michigan.
1: So we go there, and then once, you know, we were sort of done eating, they made us fill out a questionnaire, and you know, the last question was, have you found Jesus? And it's just sort of a troubling question because, you know, we
0: really hadn't gone there to find Jesus. So I often wonder, um, I actually went to a preschool that was a Christian school, it was yeah. North Florida Christian yeah. uh, preschool. And so my, my question is, you know, given your experience with, you know, uh, maybe sort of affronts to your religion in the United States, why did you then choose to put your kids, aka me and my sister, um, in, in, a, in a maybe a different religion school?
1: We were providing enough religious instruction at home. So the fact that they were getting a slightly different instruction at school didn't matter that much. You know, what mattered to us more was are they learning some math and some English and some reading and some science? You know, that actually was more important. And we were pretty confident that whatever they were learning about religion could be,
0: quote unquote, undone at home. But while putting me in a Christian school didn't matter to my parents, it did matter for me. This was the origin of my religious confusion, especially when I had experiences like this one. We did a, I think, a a spring festival, and what we did is we reenacted Noah's Ark. But one thing that I remember, one key detail that I remembered, is that I was dressed as a cow. Now my question to you is, um, you know, some of my friends think that that is actually was purposeful. What are your thoughts and feelings about that?
1: I find it hard to believe that it was, you know, if they were trying to offend, it was intentional. I don't think it was intentional at all, because I also remember another incident when you you played the role of Moses. And so, and in fact, I remember commenting to my, you know, to, to my wife about that, that, you know, it's kind of interesting that the one person they they picked to, to play Moses is the only person in class who's not Christian, actually. So, you know, they gave the most important role to the only non-Christian in class. That's funny.
0: I don't remember that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so it's, you know, so so I doubt if it was, I I think it just happens to be, you know, it just happened that you played the role of a cow. And I mean, if you did, what is wrong with that? I mean, you know, you were not insulting to the cow at the end of the day. So I think it's okay.
0: While it still doesn't seem to face my dad, my Christian schooling had a profound effect on me. I wanted to be the good Hindu boy that my dad seemed to model for me. Yet even when I matured and had the opportunity to actively choose to be Hindu, I experienced affronts to my faith that I just didn't know how to handle. Seventh grade, you know, we had uh, we had social studies, and our social studies class was dealing with world world culture, world religions, that type of thing, and one of the lectures was on Hinduism. And in the book, you know, this, this this book written by Pearson and you know, like an American publisher, that type of thing. And the book described Hinduism in such a way um, that it kind of simplified the religion too much. So one of the one of the good examples is it took reincarnation and basically you know said that you know people who adhere to Hinduism believe that they'll come back as a vegetable, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's not necessarily how it's right. supposed to be. Reincarnation has its own roots, its own meaning, right. and, and its own um, I guess importance in Hinduism. But for the rest of the day and for the rest of the next few few weeks, the big thing was you know after he passes away Rohan will become a carrot my question to you is how did you see your religion change or at least your practice of your religion change when you moved to Alabama did you have to hide your religion did you feel any of those things
1: not at all I uh, again in a mobile you know Alabama where we stayed has no temple Uh, but there was a prayer group that used to meet once a week and they used to meet in the botanical gardens and this has been going this has this practice had been going on since the mid 70s and so so i think again the whole purpose of going to that was again there was a social angle there was definitely a religious angle and there was also an angle that hey our kids need to do this too
0: so from this discussion it's clear that there are distinct generational experiences with hinduism in america While my father is secure in his faith due to the lessons he learned in India, first-generation Hindus like myself don't have the same religious foundation and lack clarity as to where their spirituality lies. But Hinduism is evolving. As more and more first-generation Hindu Americans express a desire to understand their faith, Hinduism is beginning to modernize. Given his more conservative outlook on Hinduism, I wanted to know what my father thought on what their religion would look like in the next 10 to 20 years.
1: So I think... Indians as, a, as an immigrant population have been very successful uh, in the US. And so the result of that is they sort of have the, you know, quote-unquote spare money to to donate towards building temples. And so I have seen that change significantly in the past 30 years. You know, now, I mean, when there was a time when it was, you know, rare to find a temple. But now pretty much every big city has more than one. And some of the smaller ones have temples too. I think there will be a change in, uh, you know, as you go to another generation, basically you go, you know, you go to, you know, the first generation who grew up here, you know, the language is definitely going to be an issue. And so you, you know, you might see a shift towards sort of, you know, moving to something that is more in English. Rather than sort of based in Sanskrit. And I think that's okay, you know, as long as the religion the religious principles are being maintained, I think I'm fine with that. So I think the switch to a language will happen. But I think it'll be gradual. And so 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 you know, Hinduism is going to evolve and that's okay. And you could say there's nothing we can Hindu about it.
0: <laughs> Good one, Dad. And thank you for the honest conversation. After this talk, I wish I'd spoken up earlier. I better understand why I felt so much religious confusion growing up. It wasn't that my parents weren't doing a good enough job teaching me Hinduism at home, or that American culture forced Christianity upon me. Rather, I think my experience was unfortunate, but natural. We often hear about the trials and tribulations that immigrants face when packing up their life and moving to a completely foreign country. But perhaps my difficulty understanding my faith is one of the many challenges faced by the sons and daughters of these immigrants. First-generation Americans like myself have a dual identity, seeing themselves as part of their cultural minority group and the society that they now live in. And living two lives is difficult, especially when those values conflict. But just like other first-generation Americans before me, and the many who will follow after, I've carved my own identity, getting to pick and choose aspects of both of my cultures and both of my religions to become the person I am today. From Rice University, this is Rohan Palanki.